Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Anya Taylor-Joy on The Queen's Gambit, Harry Potter, and Furiosa. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Excited to say we have a returning guest, a relatively recently returning guest. We just talked on the podcast in February, I believe, right before the world uh, cracked in half into a thousand pieces. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy uh, joined me in my office back then, and we had a really great conversation, really uh, bonded over our, our fellow uh, you know, geekdom in the world of film. And um, I'm thrilled that she came back. I'm thrilled that she's coming back to talk about this cool new Netflix series, The Queen's Gambit, which drops next week. I'm thrilled that she chose an awesome comfort movie. She is the first of my guests to choose a Harry Potter film as her comfort movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. And I'm, I'm mostly thrilled, I will confess, and it will surprise nobody who's listened to this podcast to hear this, that um, she came on the podcast the day after it was announced that she is our new Furiosa. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of geeking out in this conversation about that. Um, she has been cast as the, in the Charlize Theron role in, in Furiosa, the prequel to Mad Max Fury Road. It's her, it's Chris Hemsworth, it's Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who's also done the podcast in, in the last year. Um, so, uh, so thrilled that the timing actually worked out. This is maybe her first conversation on the record about Furiosa, uh, or if not that, one of the very first. So um, if you've come here looking for Furiosa talk, there is a fair amount, and obviously no spoilers or anything. We've got years to talk about it, but it's cool to hear her talk about um, how excited she is, and, and she feels the weight of the role and the and the character and and what Charlize crafted and uh, and yeah, there's a fair amount of Mad Max talk in this, but there's also a lot of talk about what she's up to, uh, which is this this cool new Scott Frank series called The Queen's Gambit. It is it's an unusual project. It's a character study about a chess prodigy. Um, it's kind of a psychological thriller character study. Um, kind of uh, impossible to put into one genre, but maybe that's what makes it uh, all the more special. Um, we also chose to talk about, or she chose rather, to talk about as her comfort movie, as I alluded to earlier, a Harry Potter film. She is a diehard Harry Potter fan. She, cho she chose Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. An unusual choice, and I told her that um, uh, in our conversation, and kind of not the one I would expect to be the first Harry Potter film for one of my guests to, to choose, but you'll learn why she chose this one in particular. Um, so yes, that's Anya Taylor-Joy coming up as the main event on today's Happy, Sad, Confused. Other things to mention, new episode of Stir Crazy, of course, every week, new, new episodes on Comedy Central's YouTube and Facebook page. This week, we have one of my favorites, the great comedian, actor, podcaster now, Sarah Silverman, is my guest. We had a blast. She's always fun. Check that out, as I said, on Comedy Central's YouTube and Facebook pages. Um, not much else to say today. I think we should just get right to the main event because this is a, a especially fortuitous timing to talk to Anya, and I know you guys probably want to hear from her rather than me promoting all my, all my wares. Uh, so let's get right to it. As I said, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix next week. Check that out. And in the meantime, 
check out this conversation, me and Anya Taylor-Joy. It's happening. The button has been pushed. Oh boy. Now it's all on the record. <laughs> um, Anya Taylor-Joy, welcome back to the podcast. A little different this go around, but it's good to see you. It's good to see you too. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Um, there's a lot to talk to even in these crazy times, especially in these crazy times. Um, but I, I, let's just start. This is fortuitous timing. I mean, we, this, so yesterday arguably was probably one of the most exciting days of your career because <laughs> you got, you've gotten the role of a lifetime officially announced. You are Furiosa. Can you just tell me what yesterday was like for you when it was announced? I mean, okay, like, it's so many feelings, so many feelings. I am currently in Belfast um, shooting a movie and I was here when I saw Fury Road for the first time. So I walked past the cinema where I first was like amazed by this incredible mind. Um, and yeah, it's, it's difficult to put into words. I feel so humbled and grateful but also like, I think the first thing that went through my head when I found out I was going to do it is I was like, I am so excited to work so hard. Like I am going to work so hard at this. And um, the level of commitment that has been shown by those that have come before me, I just, I, I endeavor to match that. And that makes me really excited. Yeah, it's, it's setting a pretty high bar. I mean, Fury Road has been the, mo is, <laughs> is the most obsessed over film on this podcast the last few years and any cinephile. And not to mention, I mean, Shirley's obviously created an iconic performance. Oh, so. she's unbelievable. Like, it's um, honestly, like, just I have so much respect for the originators of this crazy world and this unbelievable, you know, collection of characters. And I just, again, I'm just excited to work really hard. Who who was the most random coolest text or or uh, whatever you got yesterday? Was I'm sure your phone was blowing up. I mean, the first person to text me, which I shouldn't have been surprised, it was Edgar, because you know he he and George are friends, and he was just the first one to be like, "I'm excited that I knew about this beforehand, but now the world knows. Congratulations!" <laughs> <laughs> but you know, again, like I'm I'm filming, and so anytime that I'm not on set, I'm self-isolating as much as I can so my celebration was like watching Harry Potter and eating great food by myself and being like ah is this real <laughs> I love it well we'll get to Harry Potter in a second um it's it's funny like you're kind of like a a bookend for me of this year because like we we spoke relatively we spoke in February as I recall and it was mm -hmm. it was you were one of the last kind of normal-ish conversations I had for the podcast before mm -hmm. the shit hit the fan um and it's interesting. I mean, as I remember it, you were you were kind of I mean, you you had had just a very busy year. You had filmed like I think three things back to back. Maybe Queen's Gambit was the last thing you had shot. Do I have yeah. That so yeah, it's all it's all very weirdly bookendy because I so twenty nineteen twenty nineteen yeah that's where <laughs> um, twenty nineteen started with Emma. Then it was last night in Soho, and then it was Queen's Gambit, and then twenty twenty started speaking with you about Emma, and now in a different galaxy, far, far away, we are communicating about the Queen's Gambit. So we're back. So you, you had talked at the time about like, you know, may, you know admittedly, like I, I like to work, but also I probably need a, a second to breathe. Well, it turned out the whole world has gotten more than a second to breathe. Yeah. Did, uh, 
talk me through, I guess, the last few months for you. Was this good for you? Was this, I mean, you have a very active mind, you have a very active spirit. How has it been to have to kind of like sit back and relax and, and chill for a second? I mean, I, I can never be grateful to a pandemic that has caused so much suffering, obviously, because I'm, you know, I'm insane in some ways, but I'm not like... Not that far gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I am very grateful to the space because like the first two weeks of lockdown, it was kind of like, ah, look at this like Santa Claus sleigh thing that you've been carrying around and chucking all of your experiences into and going, I can't deal with it because I'm working. Well, guess what? Now you have to unpack the whole thing and deal with it. And that was, that was hard to begin with, but I'm now so grateful to be on the other side of it because I realized that I just, I'd never had a second to assimilate any of the lessons that I'd learned, any of the trauma I'd experienced or the good things I'd experienced. They'd all just been like chucked aside to focus on, you know, breathing life into a new character. And I feel like I've, grown up in this time. I feel I've had time to go from being 18 to being 24. It is funny how like sometimes being a workaholic and filling the gaps with work is, is kind of an excuse not to deal with the real shit. Like not to like, I mean, I, I'm saying this for myself, like, cause I'm mm -hmm. same, I'm the same way. Like I pile on, like, let me do a different show. Let me do, let me start a new podcast. Let me do it. And it, part of it is just like, keep my mind busy. So I don't have to I don't know, sit back and really deal with the real stuff. And th there's a good and bad side to that. That's, I guess that's maturity um, is when you yeah. learn to sit back and like, okay, it's time to actually deal with myself. <laughs> well, I mean, absolutely. I think like there was, um, you know, I, I can remember the first, the first time I ever lost somebody who meant a great deal to me. I found out on a plane going from the job I had just done into the next project. And when I got to that job, I was a wreck. And the way that I like told that story in my head was like, oh, but all of these incredible people like brought me back to life and brought me together again. And, and that is true, but I'm also now aware of like, wait, it's not normal to grieve in between setups. It is not normal to yeah. like, be able to put your brain into a different headspace and do something really well. And then when they yell cut, like go off into the forest and like cry about it. Like that's right, not right, how right. you process something. Um, and I think having the space to like tend to myself with the same regard that I give to my characters, I now feel like, oh, I can do a much better job of the thing that I love now that my own well is full rather than like scrapping and trying to find anything I can to give to the character that I was like portraying at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Where, so in the last few months, and I know some of it was some work, you were able to do a little bit more work with Edgar to, to finish up last night in Soho, but like in the downtime, where did the energy go? Because the energy doesn't just dissipate you still have a lot of energy so what did you focus on were you reading were you curing cancer did you discover, <laughs> did you discover the meaning of life Anya what where did I it wish. all go I wish um I think the beginning was confusing because you know I I sort of I said this before um and it had sounded weird when I was saying it but it was genuinely my truth it was like I can tell you what any of my characters do for fun but I've forgotten what I do like I don't know how I how I cope with situations anymore. And rediscovering reading was huge for me because as a kid, 
that was just where I went to. Like it took my mother years to train me out of taking a book to a dinner party because I would just like put it beneath the table and just I couldn't get out of that world. And now that I've rediscovered like, oh yeah, this is a big part of what makes me who I am. And I love throwing myself into stories and hearing other people's thoughts like reverberating around in my own head. Um, I think that brought me a lot of like peace and a lot of love and movies, of course. What was it like to get back on, on set after a bit of a break? Was, was it doing stuff with Edgar? Was that the first time you, you shot something in all this? That was the first time. And the craziest thing about that experience was I had to move to an isolation house. So I was like, ah, okay. Like, just remember what these new boundaries are. And we also, we have to carry, um, my one for last night in Soho is actually hilarious. I think I might have to frame it and put it on my wall, but they gave me like this stick with this huge piece of plexiglass attached to it. That's really heavy. I'd like hit myself in the head with it a couple of times. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I must remember to put this in front of my face so that other people don't talk to me. Oh my God. Like, question mark. Um, <laughs> but everyone, everyone's done such an incredible job. And on the movie I'm on now, The Northman, I couldn't be more in awe of how these people have rallied and have created a set that is as safe as we possibly can be without, you know, skimping on the quality of the art. Like right. I'm, I'm genuinely inspired by them. Well, I'm excited you're back to work with the, the great Robert Eggers. Maybe we'll, we'll tease that a little bit later, but let's, let's talk. We have two other big subjects to get into. One, your comfort <laughs> movie, but also Queen's Gambit, which I've really been digging. So this is, this is one of these, <laughs> this is one of these series um, I'm a big fan of Scott Frank. I mean, I've, 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 I mean, I'm a cinephile. I, I've, I remember when he was just like known as like the guy that wrote like these really cool nineties films, like dead again was like one of my favorites way back when out of sight. Um, in recent years, he's done godless and now this, um, and it's kind of, a, it's kind of, I don't even know what genre you put it into. And I think that's part of the beauty of it. Um, how was this presented to you? What was, what was exciting? about Queen's Gambit when it was presented? I heard that Scott Frank, the man, uh, wanted to talk to me about something and that there was no script, but there was a book. And, you know, my head was all over the place. I think I was like, yeah, I think I just agreed to do Emma and Last Night in Soho. And I was like, I'm insane. What am I doing? But I can't let these go. Um, and I, I devoured the book just from the first page. I was obsessed and I am not a runner. I do not run places, but when I finished the book, I was so excited. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to walk to this meeting. Cause otherwise he's going to think I'm a psycho and like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And like five minutes into walking, I started to run. Like I ran to that meeting and I ran home afterwards because I just had so many ideas and I fell in love with Beth and I really felt like I could tell this story and that I understood what she was going through. And the first thing that I said to Scott, I like ran into the restaurant and I was like, it's not all about chess and she has to have red hair. And he was like, <laughs> you're right. It's not all about chess and she does have to have red hair. And we, I, I just, I could not love that man anymore if I tried. He is, an incredible collaborator, so talented, but also just like one of those people who's so nice, you don't think it's real. And I'm here to tell you that after months, well, now it's been a year, after a year of knowing him very intimately, he is the nicest person. Like Amazing. it's all there. 
It's okay. all real. You, you've just booked him on the podcast. Now I'm intrigued because as I said, I'm a fan <laughs> of his work. And now that I know he's a good guy too. Him. Excellent. So you, you mentioned, okay, so like to, for the audience that doesn't know much and you don't need to know much. Frankly, I didn't know much going into this and I kind of enjoyed taking the ride and kind of seeing what, where it went. Um, it is about the world of chess. You're a prodigy. It's, it follows several years in your life. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's almost like a psychological character study, a thriller in a way. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of things. Um, what does the, what are the advantages of following a character like this through multiple episodes versus a film? Did you find that rewarding that you had space to kind of go on this journey with her? Oh, absolutely. I think um, the level of connection I had with Beth, I think I would have found it very difficult to let her go after the space of time of a movie. I think I would have felt very incomplete. Whilst after seven hours, I'm like, you're good. Like, <laughs> we did it. Yeah. I can, can let you go now, we Beth. Can chill. <laughs> we, we can We can chill for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, as a performer, it's an absolute gift to get to play someone from 15 to 21. Like yeah. I, that was a challenge that I hadn't had before and I was super excited to get into it. But I think as an audience member, there's something so beautiful about being like standing testament to someone's growth. Because if you've seen the way that they react to something when they're eight, 15, you then understand the choices that they're making at 21. And it makes the victories so much more delicious and the losses so much more painful because you've like seen the patterns that they follow and you understand why they react to things a certain way. So it's almost like you're reliving a memory, I guess. Right, right. I'm sure you also, again, knowing what I know about you, having now talked to you a bunch of times, um, you connect on the obsessiveness, connect on, <laughs> and I mean that with love. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you've talked before to me about like, I don't fall in like with something. I fall in love with something. Like I go all the way. Yeah. And certainly Beth, um, has her demons and has her issues, but, but at the core of a lot of it is, um, is a focus or I don't know. Yeah, no, completely. I think, um, I think the first thing that I connected to with Beth was she has an inherent loneliness to her. And I could really connect with that, especially as, as a younger kid. Um, and she found chess and I found making art. Right. And I think the feeling that she has when she first walks into, you know, a hall where competitive chess is taking place was the exact same feeling that I had when I first walked onto a set. I was like, oh, I get it. This yep. is where I'm supposed to be. Did you know the, the long history of this project? I was unaware when I read that Heath Ledger, I mean, this is kind of fascinating. And mm -hmm. I knew Heath Ledger was, was I mean, this, uh, it's crazy to think, of. I've been doing this a while. I interviewed Heath Ledger and a lot of it, we talked about chess. He was, he loved chess. He oh, played, I, I remember he played like, he told me he would play like pickup games like in Washington Square Park in New York. <laughs> um, and um, he was supposed to, this is gonna be his directing debut way back when. Yeah. Um, um, amazing. Scott let me know about the, the very long history that this book has, but I think it's so, um, I mean, my favorite gift to receive is a book. Like if someone goes, I really care about this and I, I want you to have it, I want to share this with you. Um, and I think The Queen's Gambit as a book has a history of being shared amongst creatives because it does, whilst it specializes in the world of chess, what it really is tackling is like 
when you have such a singular focus and a singular dedication to something that requires absolutely everything of you, yeah. how do you not lose your fucking mind, essentially? Like totally. that's sort of, yeah. that's kind of the, the message or the question that the show poses. Um, and I think a lot of creatives, a lot of sports people can connect with that. By the way, I loved seeing, I mean, I love the whole ensemble in this, but I, I, was, I was especially excited to see Marielle Heller pop mm -hmm. in there, who um, I'm such a fan of her work behind the camera as well. Yeah. Um, does she direct any of these? Did Scott direct them all? Is, she, is it all on camera for Mary or what? Yeah, Scott directed all of them. Um, Scott was Mari's, uh, what would you call it? I guess um, Mari was in the Sundance Labs projects. So he's like a mentor Harry type. Yeah. yeah, got thank it. Thank you. Mentor, that's the word. Um, and they had a really close friendship and she was amazing to work with. And the relationship that Alma and Beth have is so interesting and juicy and bizarre that we both just loved it. We really relished it. Yeah, you've summed up the series, I think, in those words. Interesting, juicy, <laughs> bizarre, right there. If that doesn't sell it, I don't know what else we have to do, guys. Um, so I know you've been, you, you've been very kind. You reached out. You were excited about the fact that I was kind of talking about celebrating comfort movies on the podcast in recent months. And uh, you broke my heart. It's okay. I forgive you. It wasn't me. It was Dakota. It's, Dakota Fanning look, did I, it. Dakota Fanning <laughs> broke my heart. It's okay. I, I forgive everyone involved. <laughs> it's first come, first serve on, on Happy Second Views. <laughs> so for so for the history, so to clarify, yes, I've been asking guests to bring a comfort movie to the table, uh, and you were like, I got to do Almost Famous, right? It was literally the, like the day before, day after Dakota uh, taped her Almost Famous episode, uh, but you went through a, a few different permutations, which was fascinating. You also mentioned <laughs> one, which would have been a fascinating episode, I will say. <laughs> Do you remember what you told me you wanted to do? Yes, I'm happy. I'm happy to talk about everything, man. I wanted to do Requiem for a Dream. Um, I had seen it for the first time during lockdown and the word comfort, like almost famous was just the reason I reached out was like, again, to touch on obsession. Like if I could wax lyrical about a movie, I was just like, it has to be this. Um, <laughs> but then, but then when I had to think about something else that I wanted to talk about, I had just seen Requiem for a Dream. And whilst it's not a comforting subject matter, the high level of art was comforting to me. Like, yeah. you know, I think it was maybe week two of lockdown. I'd watched like some stuff that was like, you know, chicken soup for the soul, like nice. Then I saw this movie and I was like, I love art so much. Like what's achievable, the way that the camera moves, just, uh, I, anytime, you know, film and TV is a visual art. If you're not using everything at your disposal to tell a story, what are you doing? And so the, the camera language, the costumes, the way that the colors change, just everything about it. I was like, ah, this is it. <laughs> I, think, I think you would vibe with Darren Aronofsky. I don't know if you've met him yet, but he is, uh, again, a, I mean, as you know, I mean, just an artist at the highest possible level and just... <laughs> um obsessive again that word keeps coming up but in the best possible way um no truly and yeah let's go to passionate we'll go to passionate yeah but no i mean i yeah every film of his is an event for me even the ones that like yeah i know mother divided people but i still just love he swings for the fences he just goes for it that's what you i want. went to see mother at the nighthawk in brooklyn and the thing that stands out the most to me about that was that when i left that theater there was a genuine street brawl happening outside of like two people literally divided into camps, like screaming their opinions at each other. And I was like, 
this is this is what art's supposed to do, man. What's that wonderful quote that's like it's supposed to um, unnerve the comfortable and comfort and comfort the unnerved or something? Right, like right, that. right. That I is was like ah, cool. That is the <laughs> ultimate ultimate Brooklyn story. That the the yeah. Brooklyn street brawl was over whether mother was a, a great piece of <laughs> it's art or not. for the earth, you idiot. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so the one that we did arrive at, that you arrived at, is, and it's surprising, it's taken this long for one of these films to come up on the podcast. That's a comfort movie. Uh, tell us your, your ultimate choice for this episode. What did you choose? My comfort movie is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one, part uno. So, okay, this is intriguing to me for on a number of levels. Um, obviously, <laughs> I, um, I love all the Harry Potter movies. I, um, I confess, I, I didn't grow up reading the books. I'm a bit older, so it didn't. I didn't interact with it that way. But well, let's start here. Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part One is not the one I think of as the generally acclaimed one. I think of Azkaban. Um, you know, you could you could cite the first one as just the one that kind of like created it and casted that that, that amazing group of young performers. I love uh, Deathly Hallows Part Two. Sell me on Deathly Hallows Part One. Why is this the comfort movie? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> I think it's because if you were somebody that grew up reading the books as they came out, and that means that you were somebody that had, you know, like the films coming out every year, every Harry Potter movie is really packed. Like they're very much like, there's a lot going on. Voldemort's coming to Hogwarts. Like we have to figure something out. And whilst that's really exciting, it never gives the characters a lot of time to breathe. And what I thought was beautiful about splitting the Deathly Hallows into part one and part two was that part one felt like you really got to enjoy is potentially the wrong word, but like commiserate with characters that you had grown up with and that you now felt like you understood and you had time with them. Like it was about those relationships and that, what was going on. And that, you know, the way you articulate it makes a lot of sense to me. Yes, you are kind of sitting with, especially kind of the core three, obviously, as they kind of like deal with the weight of what's coming, what, uh, of just like the accumulation of all these years of battles. And um, yeah, it's, it makes sense. Cause like by then, the performers have kind of like are as good as they've ever been, right? Mm -hmm. They've matured into kind of like fine actors. I mean, that's, it's the casting coup of, of the century that, they cast these films Absolutely. so well with young performers. Um, and yeah, it's a bit, I mean, maybe this is too strong a word for a Harry Potter film, but it's a more of a meditative Harry Potter film. It's not the whiz bam bash, you know, it's Completely. got action, but it, it, you, you sit with them. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, it's something like, I remember coming out of Deathly Hallows part two. So I must've been 15. And when they were like bombing Hogwarts, just the, the gasp that emanated from the cinema that I was in of like, they are destroying my childhood. Like right. my childhood is being <laughs> destroyed in front of me. And I think with part one, you can really like, again, I don't like it. I love it. Um, you can really feel these characters having to understand that they have matured into a world now where the stakes are not low, where people die where, I mean, you begin the movie with like, Harry going back to the cupboard under the stairs with Hermione obliterate, obliterate, 
Like, <laughs> obliterating, I think that's the term. Like, obliterating her parents' minds. Like, everything about it screams, we are no longer in a children's movie. Yep. Like, we do not get to go back to, like, feasts at Hogwarts after this. And I think, like, as you carry that, especially if you're watching it, you know, when you were younger, you were just like, oh, God, I'm growing up. Oh, God, I'm growing up. Also, I would say, just to, to mention other things, I, I mean, I watched it again the other day uh, since I knew you wanted to chat about it. And, like, a few things struck me. I mean, this is always talked about. The ensemble, beyond just the child performers, in this one especially, just, like, jumps out. Like, from the first mm -hmm. image of, of Bill Nye talking to the camera, amazing, right? Oh, the great Bill Nye. Um, the great Bill Nye. There's no... Um, there's no two, like every, the smallest adult character is played by, you know, Brendan Gleeson or Stanton. Yeah. They're all just like literally the best actors on the planet. And that, that was mm -hmm. just a genius. The sets are remarkable. David Yates really is like a, a, an underrated filmmaker, I think, in creating really distinct, um, powerful worlds. I also love how many, like just enjoying the, the Malfoys, Helena Bonham Carter is just like- Unbelievable. Never get enough of her, right? Of, no, and actually, um, on that subject, I was—I'd never thought about this before, but just out of curiosity, like if you had to go head to head with Dolores Umbridge or Bellatrix Lestrange, like where would you go? I'm curious. I—I I feel like Dolores, because Bellatrix is just like she's like that shit crazy. Like she's just a little scary. <laughs> like what the fuck is she gonna do? <laughs> yeah, but this—but this was my thought process. Like at least with like with Bellatrix, you know that she's like kinky insane whilst Dolores would just like smile at you the whole time and like almost make creepier that way yeah. Watch. yeah you know like <laughs> it would be weird this is fair this is fair so okay you've alluded to this before um in our past podcast and in this conversation talk to me a little through your Harry Potter journey from child to adult like where are you like have you followed it the books were important to you I know you read them over and over did you have you gone to Wizarding World? Have you contemplated Harry Potter tattoos? Give me a sense of how much it still permeates your life to this to this day. Oh, wow. I mean, I... Uh, okay, so I learned to speak English reading the books. Like, that's, that's where my, like, obsession stems from. It's, I remember being... When I first got to my new school in England, I went to the library and the library was like in the middle of this room and it was all encased in glass. And I can just remember pressing my face against it and going, there is a whole world of stuff that I cannot access because I can't fucking read yet. And like, I will learn and I will learn this language so that I can get into that and I can do this. Um, and so like the first people I ever met in the language that I'm speaking to you in now were the characters of Harry Potter. So it was, it was a big deal. Um, when I was like 12, no, later, maybe 16, 17. Um, <laughs> <Light difference. laughs> like now, um, I went to uh, the incredible set that they still have that's open. So, and I remember walking into the room where they have like the actual model of Hogwarts. And when I walked in, I burst into tears and the woman that was like the attendant just turned to me and she goes, happens all the time. Like, it's totally <laughs> fine. Don't worry about it. You're not weird. Like, it's okay. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't permeate my life that much now. But whenever I think about it, it is a feeling of like deep devotion and, and of finding, you know, it was, it was a mixture of magic and friendship and accepting, which I really needed as a kid. Which uh, in, in, the, in the eight films, which of the deaths hit you hardest obviously in the one that you chose today we have 
the sad death of poor Dobby. Yeah. Poor Dobby. Um, uh, book wise, book wise, it was Hedwig, but only because I spoiled it for my brother, and my brother like lost his shit. He was <laughs> mad. Like he took my book away from me. We were supposed to be reading them at the same time, and I started crying, and he was like, "You ruined this for me." Um, in in the films, I think it actually has to be serious. I think that's the one that I I felt the most. Yeah, I remember they did. They tried to launch an Oscar campaign for for Rickman towards the end of the series, and that's just one of the great oversights. I think like there was a, yeah. obviously there's always been a bit of a bias against fantasy genre films, but uh, what he was able to do with such a complex, fascinating character. Absolutely. Come on. Come on. Absolutely. Um, so I, I take it you thanks to the timing or whatever, have you ever auditioned for Potter or Fantastic Beasts? Has that ever come up? No, but when I was 10, I wrote my only letter to a casting director. I did not get a reply. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, hi, I'm 10. I really care about acting and I think I'd be great in Harry Potter. So please give me a call. And Fiona Weir did not write me back, which is okay. I have like made my peace with that. Is there a character that you would have liked to uh, a crack at? Um, I mean, the actress that plays Luna is so good, but I, I do love, I do love me some Luna. She's pretty great. <laughs> She's got she, some great lines. Like just, they're so much fun to say. Yeah, the actress, uh, I think it was Ivana Lynch, I want to say, like mm-hmm. so specific, so just like, quirky to the nth degree in the fat in the and that lovely soft voice it's so cute (laughs) so where would you rank i mean you don't have to do all eight films but like give me a sense of where the films all stand for you are you because a lot of people cite like azkaban as kind of like the ultimate it's quaron directing it of course um in hindsight now that we've got some some years past the the series what are the what's like the top three for you of the films I do, I do think Azkaban might be number one. It's not, it wasn't my comfort. Um, yeah, I could see how it wouldn't be. That's Yeah, because again, like what's, what's really genius about the way that the books and the films, um, the, the way that they were staggered is you really were growing up with the characters. And so when you went to see the third Harry Potter and all of a sudden like shit was dark, it, it really blew your mind because you're like, oh my goodness, I'm clearly mature enough to be able to handle this and right. uh, stress. Um, I sobbed hysterically when Cedric Diggory was killed. So I think, I think, it, I think it might have to go three, four, and then, and then the two Deathly Hallows. Yeah. They're just great. So uh, let's give some arbitrary awards for Deathly Hallows part one. Is there uh, an actor you would give the best performance award to in this film? Ooh. Um, a tie. No, I can't do that. That's so hard. <laughs> you know what? Let's let's give it to Daniel Radcliffe. Like, bless yeah. him, man. He's the chosen one. Like, he has a hard time. Like, he's going through it. <laughs> have you have you met any of the Harry Potter actors, or the young ones, or or the esteemed every great British actor in the history of the medium? Yes, I've worked with a few of them, and it's always important to me that after we like have a basis of like, oh, you're cool, I'm cool. I'm like, I have to tell you this on the first day we know each other because if I hold on to it, then it's weird. Like if I don't tell (laughs) you that I'm obsessive, but then again, I must get that all the time. So I think it's pretty chill. Right, Um, who in particular did you have that conversation with? 
Well, I just had the pleasure of working with Harry Melling on The Queen's Gambit, and he's a beautiful person, just so sweet, so humble, so lovely. Um, and it, it was a pleasure to work with him. And then I worked with the two uh, Weasley twins oh, on nice. Last Night in Soho. So that was really fun. Uh, Radcliffe actually was, uh, has been on the podcast several times, but recently for his comfort movie, I find it funny that his comfort movie was maybe the most random of all. He chose the, um, I, I want to say it was in the 2000s, teen comedy Get Over It, which I had never seen. Do you know Get Over It? No. Yeah, I hadn't seen it either. Don't I'm worry. So, <laughs> so now you should check it. Look, if you're a true Harry Potter fan and you want to, yeah, you know. I mean, I guess I, I have to get in there. And um, also, like, just, I have to say, I hadn't seen, um, I hadn't seen the later Harry Potter since I worked with Helen McCrory. And I have so much love and respect for that woman. Yep. But just see, like, it sounds silly, but I get really excited when I see my friends, like, on TV. I'm like, you're amazing. <laughs> That's so great. Look at you go. This is awesome. Amazing. Is there, is there a line either from Deathly Hallows Part 1 or through the, the series of books or films that you find yourself quoting or that comes up in your life? Ooh, I mean, Dumbledore's got some great lines. Uh, the one about um, in the darkness, one only has to remember to turn on the light. That, that's something that, you know, I think everyone can can do with remembering right now. I think it's important to, to turn on the light. Definitely, definitely. But no tattoos. No, the quotes have not been tattooed on your back just yet. No, 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 no. I, I, if I got a tattoo for everything that I was obsessed with, I would never work again. <laughs> yeah, you'd look like me <laughs> a memento. You'd be like, yeah, no, it wouldn't work. <laughs> a lot of time in the makeup chair. Um, so you mentioned, you so said you're in Belfast. Is that what you, you said you are yeah. at? So yes. you, you're reteaming right now. Have you started shooting yet? Or are you in like the quarantine? We started portion? shooting in August. Oh, wow. Okay, um, nice. Yeah, so we're more than halfway through now, um, which is crazy, uh, but so exciting. Um, an amazing company of actors in this one. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Nicole Kidman, Alexander Skarsgård, um, Willem Dafoe reteaming with Eggers again. Um, can you give me a sense of sort of what we can expect from this one? I, I know to expect the unexpected from Robert Eggers, but um, what's the world he's creating? It's just so big. It's a huge world. Um, I was already so proud to be a part of it because, you know, I love Rob at this point. We've been friends longer than we've been collaborators. And so to have the opportunity to show up and be like, we get to do the thing that we love together. This is so much fun. Um, yeah, he's just, he's brought such commitment and authenticity. And I have to say that for this group of actors, like if you're making a Robert Eggers movie, you will not be warm and you will not be physically comfortable. Right. And we are all drinking the same Kool-Aid and we're all so gung-ho about everything that it's just truly exciting to be on set. Like I'm having a blast. Amazing. Amazing. Um, indulge me for a second. Don't worry. I know we've got years to talk about Furiosa, but I'm just curious about auditioning for that. What was the, ex did you get to meet with George in person or is that all, like, have you met him in person thanks to all this insanity? What, what, how did it go down? No, um, we have not met in person yet. We spent a lot of time on FaceTime and then we had a great, conversation that just you know we basically like we talked about movies but we mostly just talked about life um and i i just love his brain i love his brain i i really feel like i connect with it and you know from the second that we finished talking i was already thinking like okay i'm yours 
totally like, do with me what you will yeah i have a mad obsession with him no pun intended um he did <laughs> I, I i did a, a fifth anniversary retrospective on fury road like two months ago with george we spent an hour talking about fury road oh um goodness. yeah it was amazing um, i'll send it over your way you'd probably appreciate Jeez. it um but I'm, I'm just curious like what's the task at hand i mean like how do you I, I, I take it you have some time before you're actually going to start shooting, but like in your brain, what's the prep going to be like to create your own Furiosa and yet honor what Shirley's created? Oh my goodness. And I mean, I think that's, I think that's the first thing is that, you know, I, I fell in love with Furiosa the way that Charlize presented her, you know, like that she did such an incredible job and it was so beautiful and yeah, I, I can't even think about trying to, you know, step into her. It has to be something different because it, it just can't be done, you know. Um, but I've I've already started dreaming about her. Like it's that it, she's she's coming in pretty strong. Um, and I, I again, I think I'm just I'm so committed to working as hard as I possibly can because I've always said that I wanted a role that I would have to give everything to, that it wouldn't just be my mind. It would have to be, okay, your body, like what you're doing with yourself when you're not on set. And, yeah. uh, and I'm just so excited for that because I hope to, you know, push myself past the limits of what my brain once told me was possible. I hope to go there. I think you will. Has he shown you both scripts and 10,000 storyboards as he's wont to do? Like, have you seen all of it? I am so scared of saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> you I can't lose the. I'm not I even asking you about I the promise, plot. I, I, I promise we will talk about this at a later date, and I will tell you. I swear, I will tell you absolutely everything. <laughs> but at this point, it's so new that. I'm okay, just okay. I don't want to get you fired. I don't want to get you fired on day two of actually officially Thank landing you very the job. Much. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I will just say, um, yeah. On the note of, you know, obviously I'm a fan of yours, and I've enjoyed chatting with you, especially in recent months. But the confluence of this character, this film, you, Hemsworth. Uh, my favorite man on the planet, Yaya, who's done the <laughs> podcast. It's all happening. So to quote the comfort movie we almost did, um, I, I, I couldn't be more excited for you, my friend. Um, oh, thank you. Thank um, you so much. Congratulations on The Queen's Gambit. Everybody should check it out. Um, as I said, it's kind of, it's one of those kind of great miracles that thanks, thank God we have streaming and, and we have people like Netflix that are kind of like indulging great talents like Scott Frank to like explore characters like this. Um, because uh, it's well worth your time. And uh, Anya, I hope we can see each other in the future, hopefully in person again. Let's not do it in these weird boxes on screens. <laughs> and, uh, and thanks again for the time today, buddy. No, thank you. Big love. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>